1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG 13. We mentioned LA and Boston. Give me one more, one more great eating city. I mean being for you. born in Toronto. Yes. I mean Toronto is and Toronto is so diverse, the culture yeah. there. Yeah. It's it's let's name some names. Let's some spots that we have to try. Oh, I mean in Toronto, I mean Toronto like they there's so many like jerk chicken places. Oh, like okay. if you, if you're going There's strong Caribbean influence yeah. up in Toronto, right? Yeah. There's a community, uh, yeah uh, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm not sure what part of town. I, I I'm overdue for a visit to Toronto. I've only been twice. Um the sushi places there, there's I've heard that great too. ones. Um, there's a place called Shoshin, oh, which is like way up Young Street. It's probably like 20 minutes outside of downtown. Okay. But it is literally second to none. <laughs> worth like, the trip. The it's worth yeah! the trip. seconds to go! Vince Carter, you are amazing! Give it to me! little baby black
0: that out of here. <laughs> oh. 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 Welcome to Toronto Basketball Matters. Podcast number 28. This is your host and producer, Brandon Kajoka joining you on a Wednesday evening in TDOT. Unfortunately, Greg here, Shadis, is not with us yet again. Uh, Greg is actually living his dream. Um, Greg, if you don't know, is currently writing his PhD. Uh, he actually dropped out of his PhD program and quit the podcast. He's actually in Boise, Idaho, living a lifelong dream of working at Bed, Bath, and Beyond. Wow. He loves sheets, <laughs> duvet covers, general comfort, so... Uh, uh, all the all the love to Greg right now, living it out in Boise, Idaho. And wow. on the flip side, Christian Graffin is unavailable, also <laughs> living out his dream. Right now he's on tour with the Antique Roadshow. If you guys don't know this, Christian Graffin has a obsession with antiques. He just loves appraising antiques. He literally, like his entire YouTube page is all antique roadshow. Bullshit. So uh, good for him. The two guys living at their dreams. But fortunately enough, we are joined yet again with the man himself, Javon Bigart, my roommate from university. Javon Bigart, how's it going, guys? All right, so let's let's get to the point. A um, bunch of topics to discuss this week. Um, I guess the number one thing I guess we'll discuss or start this podcast off with is the recent dismissal of Robert Fizdale. I know we started off with Toronto Raptors topics, but we'll kind of bring it back to the Raptors quickly. David Fisdale was uh, unfortunately fired by the Grizzlies. They I think we're on an eight-game slide. Uh, very contentious relationship between him and Marcus Saul. Uh We'll play a clip of Marcus Saul, uh talking to. Robert Fisdale right now.
1: Were you comfortable with the direction that Fisdale was taking the team? I don't think that the direction was my, my, my main problem. I think that the, like the situation we are in, um, that's, uh, that was my problem. And, and obviously, I'm, I'm, I have his responsibility on that, too. Um, that was my main problem. Uh, obviously, it's like nobody likes to be in the situation we're in. And, uh, and we were not you know, finding a way to win collectively and we were breaking apart, um, obviously yeah. um, me and, 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 and David didn't see everything eye to eye all the time, um, but we all, both had the same intentions of you know, making the team um, a collective thing and a, and a really strong unit and we couldn't find the, the formula to do that.
0: So basically, uh, why I started off the podcast with this is that there have been several rumors sort of circulating discussing a potential trade of Marcus Saul to the Toronto Raptors. I'll start it off with this. Javon, how do you think Marcus Saul sort of slides into the Raptors organization? Is he. Um is he going to improve the play of the team um, or do you think we should stay pat and keep Jonas Valanciunas like what does Marcus All bring to the table and is he um, worth a guy basically getting to kind of push us past the playoff hump we've been facing the last few years
2: well first of all What's the difference between Marcus Shaw and Jonas Valanciunas? Three-point
0: shooting, playmaking, and maybe a more quicker pick-and-roll defender. But he is I thirty-two. Uh,
2: right? I wouldn't say he's a quicker pick-and-roll defender. Maybe a better three-point shooter, but I still wouldn't want uh, Marcus Shaw taking the three-pointer over other guys who could possibly be taking that shot. I'd rather him be crashing the glass, banging it inside, you know, creating that inner presence that every team needs. Um, You know, you don't need five guys on the perimeter. Most four, you know, preferably three. Um, When it comes to uh, Mark Gasol, uh, I feel that, you know, he would bring a lot of veteran leadership, a lot of experience. But I feel like Jonas Valanciunas has been in the league long enough where, Mm -hmm. you know, he kind of provides that for the Raptors as is, maybe not to the degree that Marcus Saul would, but I just feel like you might be getting a little bit better version of Jonas Valanciunas. And when you look at what the Raptors are trying to do, they're actually trying to go away from what Jonas Valanciunas is. Right, right. So they're looking for more athleticism, more flexibility, guys who are able to switch and guard multiple positions.
0: I completely agree with you. You know, we're not talking about the Marcus Saul in his late 20s a few years ago. We're talking about a Marcus Saul who at a certain time was considered to be one of the best defensive centers in the NBA clearly now shooting i think like f- like what 410 from the field goal as a big mm-hmm. man he's not the same player he was i wouldn't say he's a shell of himself but he's clearly not the Marc Gasol that we've grown accustomed to the last few years the only thing i'll say about the inclusion of Marcus on the raptors is what he bring what he brings to the table separate from your know, and is his playmaking ability in the low post you know especially kicking out to a three point shooter you look at the way we've are we're evolving our offense clearly putting more of an emphasis on the outside shot i e spacing the floor markosal is the perfect player to con- that sort of transition toward floor spacing. You know, not only can he shoot the three, he's a very competent low post playmaker, and that's why I want. Like, that's that's the thing that appeals to me as a like as a potential guy coming to the Raptors. Yeah. Because listen, you know, Svalchunas is a good center, but he's not even close when it comes to Marcus playmaking ability. And I think what Marcus has is like veteran instinct. You know what I mean? Just knowing the court, having uh, a, a, a good, maybe a good relationship with the people on his court, and just knowing how different people work. Keep in mind, he's going to a different team. It's not the Grizz. This is a team he's been with for almost a decade, um, but I'm going to pitch a few trade scenarios. I was talking on the phone about this earlier, and I know you were very sort of uh, impish, I guess, on <laughs> making a trade right now for Marcus Um I'm going to throw two trades at you because the issue with Marcus Saul is that this year he's earning 22.6 million. Next year it goes up to 24.2, and in 2019-2020 he is making 25 and a half million dollars. It was quite a chunk of change for a guy who's obviously declining. Um, so, first one, okay. Jonas Valanciunas um, Noguera, who is on his last year's contract. I think he has like a $5.5 million player option next year, which he most likely will opt out of, um, as well as Fred Van Vliet and a heavily protected first round pick for Marcus Saul and Wayne Baldwin. Yay or nay? Uh. So, N- Jonas Noguera, Fred Van Vliet, a top 20 protected first for Marcus Saul and a bench depth guy in Wade Baldwin. And how do the salaries uh, So basically How I've sort of Made these trades Is that they both Sort of evened out The inclusion okay. of Noguera's Five million dollar contract Plus Jonas owners At 16, 21 um, You know We're also talking About Fred Van Liet And a first round pick As like kind of An extra kicker Sorry about that My mom is calling me During a podcast <laughs> It's horrible um, You know
2: When I'm thinking About trades for uh, Marcus, Gasol My only issue is Not getting rid of The future of the Raptors mm-hmm. And with that trade you know The future is pretty much Still intact uh, I feel like the core guys Are still with the Raptors So I like that trade Well,
0: Because we talked about it Last week You know like The the, the guys like Norm, The Norman Powells The Pascal Siakams, Most especially The OG Ananobis Of the world Of the Raptors I guess Those guys I wouldn't Pirtle, I wouldn't Don't sleep on say They're untouchable But those are guys That like These are blue chip y- prospects
2: And the thing is With these guys Is like You're seeing the potential now And when I think about The ceiling for a lot of these guys They're not even Scratching the surface mm-hmm. Like the the ceiling is so high that, you know, you'd have to like, the way I view these guys is like, their potential future starting lineup for the Raptors.
0: So the second trade I propose is Serge Ibaka, Bruno Caboclo, and a top 15 protected pick for Marcus Gasol. Would it make sense to include Serge Ibaka in a trade to bring in Marcus Gasol and also have Jonas Valanciunas on the roster
2: no. as well? No. Yeah, uh, Jonas Valanciunas has to be gone with that.
0: So realistically, it has to be Jonas Valanciunas involved with the trade. Exactly. But you're also talking about salary cap restraints. Yeah. Um, we're also talking about having to include a guy like Noguera. I don't think we can facilitate the trade. I don't think there's too many options a team has to make this trade happen. I'm not quite sure what Memphis is thinking. What they want in return? What do you think? What do you think Memphis is at right now when it comes to their return for Marcus? Well, and the thing
2: is, if Memphis is going to take, is going to give up Marcus, Sall, they're going to want young prospects, young talent, guys who could step in right away, mm-hmm. and not necessarily contribute to a winning culture but contribute to a, a, a youth growth movement something right. that uh Philadelphia has done over the past five or so years maybe not to that extent because they still got guys like Mike Conley um they still got some veteran guys who are still on that team well, so
0: we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later we'll talk about the recent decline of Memphis Grizzlies and dismissal of Robert Fizzle very uh, later in the podcast um it's 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 tough because right now you know we we're not the greatest week for the Raptors a loss to New York Knicks as well as a loss to the Indiana Pacers an absolute heartbreaker um, But we're still afloat in the Eastern Conference I still view us as one of the best if not the best team in the Eastern Conference even the inclusion of the Boston Celtics recent play um, What are your impressions of this week? From the Toronto Raptors, um, what do you and what would you like to see moving forward, especially starting tonight against the Charlotte Hornets?
2: You know, when I look at the the Raptors against Indiana, who are they missing? They're missing a three point shot. Right. They're missing their three point specialist. Mm-hmm. You put CJ Miles in the mix on the run that he's had. They're not losing
0: that game. You're shooting over forty percent from the three point line.
2: Not only is he hitting shots, but he's opening up the floor to make guys like Norman Powell, DeMar DeRozan, who are attackers, slashers. You know, he opens up the floor and lets that lane make. He makes it available for them. So they're out put and their production would be a lot higher um and the game against new york you know what uh Tim Hardaway Jr. just had a coming out party. You know, he had a great game. Um, New York plays great at home. That's a good and point. And like, after the Raptors won seven straight games, mm-hmm. you know, the target was on their back. What are we going to do? They they didn't need to make any adjustments. The Raptors were on the streak. And, you know, basketball is a game of adjustments, right? Mm-hmm. So once a team makes an adjustment, what's the team who is the underdog or the team who's, you know, not projected to win? What's the adjustment that they're going to make to be able to overcome that? And they made the adjustments, you know, Prazingis went off, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. went They pretty much put the Raptors in a position where you know, uh, hey, these guys have beat us nine straight games, going back three seasons. Mm -hmm. You know, let's end this right now. And it's not to say that the Raptors didn't play good. I felt like they just had twelve minutes in the third quarter where they got outscored twenty-eight to nothing. Right. uh, As the focal point of that loss, put in cancel out a few of those possessions a few of those defensive blunders and a few of the offensive shot a few of the shots on offense that would typically go in for the Raptors uh you know you change a few of those and the outcome might look a lot worse I mean a lot better for the Raptors I mean they cut the score to they lost by eight but they cut it to I think it was five points Hmm. in the fourth quarter like the Raptors like there's things that you see at the Raptors are just like, damn, you know, that's, uh, youth inexperience that led to that, uh, bad possession. And, these are things that are going to come when you have a young team. Well, that's the thing. You
0: need these sort of lessons. You need and You to have need these them. like sort of like early season sort of hurdles to get over. For sure. Um, it's critical. You know, especially with such a young bench unit. Exactly. You know, you're you're seeing teams right now like Washington and and Minnesota are the teams that come to mind when they, they they have no secondary options off the bench. Yeah. You know, it's their starting five rotation and and beyond from that they have next to nothing. I think the luxury the Raptors have is that we're developing uh, a great secondary unit. Um, and guys who can facilitate offense Crate offense Guys like Norman Powell Even OG and Anobi For myself personally When I Like when we drafted him I didn't even think For a second That OG would be This competent As an outside shooter Coming into today He's averaging Just a shade Over 40% From the three point line Averaging roughly Three three points Attempts (laughs) per game Hey And, you know, one thing to... But, like, you knew who he was, though. You knew, like, this, like, very long, lanky, super athletic guy who, like, who can defend multiple positions, who didn't really have the most polished offensive game. I'm blown away by his offensive performance this early on in his career, and I think it's a clear indication that he's going to be a very impactful NBA player.
2: For sure, and, you know, I'd like to give credit to the head coach, uh, Dwayne Casey, for that uh, statistic you just pointed out. Um, You know, one of the things that they like to practice and practice, I've been watching some Raptors TV, and he likes to comment on... uh, uh, their shot spectrum. So what are the shots that they're most likely gonna be taking in the game? Ananobi's not taking dribble uh drive down pull up three pointers. He's not taking pump fake three pointers. He's not taking you know the kind of threes that he's taking is catch and shoot threes, catch and shoot threes because he knows that he's gonna be the guy in the corner when DeRozan, when Kyle Lowry, when Norman Powell, when all these guys are attacking the basket, you know, he's gonna be in the corner waiting for that catch and shoot three. So you know he's practicing, he's putting in his he's putting his reps in and it's showing in the game he's shooting what was it, 42? percent
0: just over 40 percent right just now.
2: over 40 percent from the three and like hey man you know he's holding his own he's not he's not folding under the pressure
0: it's the organization as well you know it's coming sure. to a situation where you have a pre-established organization like the Toronto Raptors um I know I kind of keep saying this over and over again in the podcast but you know OG and Anobi was a top 10 talent who dropped to 23rd in the draft because of a catastrophic knee injury you know you're seeing a guy like Jason Tatum as well you know when you come into like an already pre-established culture where you have a mix of vets and rookies and you can Just kind of come in and do your thing, there's not that much pressure on your shoulders for sure. It's the best scenario possible, and we're seeing with OG and Anobi this year. Yeah, you know, like, did you really think that he'd be a contributing rotation guy to start off his career for the Raptors? I felt like, you know, like any of
2: the Raptors' previous picks, he would have an opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Siakam had the opportunity last year and he took advantage of it early, right. but then you started, you seen that you started to slip, you started to fade away, and then we traded for Ibaka and then he got pushed to the D league, right? Um or the G League I don't get that but um, <laughs> you know he had his opportunity uh, he was coming off the bench Norman Powell got injured he stepped in grabbed the horn by the grabbed the bull by the horns and never turned away exactly. never turned
0: around you know he he's he's, uh, he's doing what he has to do. And cool. uh, a Quick conversation about also the, the other young guys coming off the bench. I want to talk to you about long-term potential and ceiling. Um, the first name that comes to mind is Pascal Siakam, who is averaging eight points per game, four and a half rebounds in uh, just over 21 minutes played per game. Uh, is Pascal Siakam realistically a good sort of like bench option who can stretch a four in a certain situation? Or do you see him be an impactful starting five player in the NBA oh for sure right now he's
2: playing his role he's doing one of the things that a lot of people are saying about Siakam is that he's the hardest running four in the league Mm -hmm. I don't even know what a four is anyway power forward whatever it is but nobody runs the floor harder than him not only is he running back on offense to catch lobs and and lead the fast break um, or finish the fast break but He's also running back on defense and not letting easy layups go uncontested, uh, and you know, making it harder for them. Uh, easy lay- taking away the easy layup opportunity, mm-hmm. and you know, possibly getting the defensive rebound and going back the other way. So I mean, just the hard work, um, the uh, the energy, and you know, just that whole nature that he brings to the game. That's his value.
0: Maybe and not like like a like a player by player comparison, but maybe like value in comparison to be to a guy like like Taj Gibson, for example. Previously, the Chicago Bulls, now the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, is that a fair assessment? Like a fringe top five guy, but a guy that every team sort of needs. Like a he'll be, be he'll be better than Taj be Gibson, Gibson
2: because I feel like. You know, the stuff that you can't teach is that energy, mm-hmm. that hard work, that, and I'm not saying Taj Gibson doesn't have it. I just feel like Siakam coming from a soccer background, running all the time, you know, I just feel like he has that edge over pretty much anybody who's in his class right now. That's he doesn't have the skill set in terms of hitting the three, attacking the basket. It's not as refined, right. but that comes with age, that comes with experience, that comes with practice, that comes with off seasons, more reps in the gym, and, you know, the things that you can't teach, he has, mm-hmm. and he exploits that, and that's what makes him successful. Right now, the things that he doesn't have, there's just reps in the gym, and he's gonna get it.
0: That's interesting. Like I, I always remember this. Ben, I mean Bill Simmons, uh, sort of talking about the eye test. And what I mean by that is when he was watching Joel Embiid um, prior to the draft and an open workout. And the thing that blew him away, and the thing that like he made like invoked uh, a comparison to Akeem Olajuwon, is his ability to run the court. You know, his limbs are flying everywhere. It's one sort of, uh, sort of like one leap. You it's know, like a fluid motion. Like- Fluid motion, exactly. And I, th- I see that a lot out of Pascal Siakam. I and going what you were mentioning earlier, you know, just having those, like, raw sort of tangibles that, like, frame and that skill set already established allows you to develop other things a little bit quicker.
2: Exactly, exactly, perfect. And then he passes the eye test with flying colors, that's for sure.
0: Alrighty, going down to another name, your boy, the former eighth overall pick. Thank you, Andrea Bargnani uh, from the New York Knicks. Uh, Jakob Pertle averaging 6.3 points per game. My dog. Uh, going with an additional Four and a half rebounds, 20.4 player efficiency rating in just under 15 minutes played. Uh, game. Is there a plus minus over there? Uh, I'm not seeing the plus minus. I haven't pulled up the advanced metrics. I, I, I know he has a pretty pretty solid plus minus. My concern with Jakob Pertl when he was drafted was that he, you, you knew he was going to be an NBA caliber player. Yeah. You knew he would be a rotation guy no matter what situation he was in. My only problem with it was two things. A, Jonas Valanciunas and Purtle sort of redundant skill set wise to Jonas Valanciunas and secondly not drafting upside having the luxury of being a playoff contender and being able to pick so high eighth overall and settling for something someone who's you know uh, floor is really high but his ceiling is really low if that makes sense I still sort of believe that but I'm also kind of growing a love for Jakob Pertl a bit I think Jakob pertle in, in my opinion is the perfect comp guy to have off, off your bench, like a competent center that can play 20 minutes, 25 minutes per game. And you don't really lose too much on both sides of the court.
2: Oh, for sure. Exactly. Everything you just stated, but just like Pascal Siakam, I think that the skills that could be developed, um, still, can be developed, so what I'm saying is, you know, he, he doesn't take jump shots. When was the last time you seen him take a jump shot? Right. He doesn't really take jump shots, like most of his uh, points and his efficiency is due to his energy and his effort, just like Pascal Siakam, so second shot opportunities, always crashing the offensive glass, right. you know, diving on the floor for loose balls. Um, you know, I coach basketball, so, you know, when, when we see that, we call those uh, gold medal plays. Who's willing to do the gold medal plays? Are you gonna let that ball roll out of bounds, or are you gonna make that effort, Knowing that anything can happen Once you make that effort You know you can hit it off uh, Of a player It could go off of his Saving possessions And every time I watch Jakob Pertl on the floor He's always doing something In those terms And you know Just to add to that Well you knew uh, that Like you,
0: know, you knew that He was going to be That type of professional Coming in the league My only thing I was Sort of mentioning Was that like Listen the three guys Who went after him We're talking Thonmaker demoss Sabonis And Torin Prince Those are three High upside guys Maybe not Sabonis But especially Maker And Torin Prince Like Can you imagine if we selected Thonmaker over Yakupurtle? Would you prefer Thonmaker over Yakupurtle? I wouldn't. No? I like Yakupurtle. Why? Um, I feel
2: like Thonmaker's skill set is more... uh Geared toward a wing player, mm-hmm. and we're oversaturated in that regard. Right, right. He's not gonna have minutes or time there. What we needed was depth at the uh, in the fr- in the front court. We, need,
0: we needed a rim protector, a rim protector
2: exactly. Uh-huh. Somebody who could back up JV, and pretty much he's the number two option right now after JV. Sometimes he's the number one option, um, and also. In the offensive sets, his screen and rolls are, you know, he does get a few offensive fouls called on him, but I think just because, you know, he's new to the league, and, you know, the NBA is a superstar call league, so, you know, if you're a superstar, you get away with certain things, and, you know, he sometimes is the, uh, not the beneficiary to that situation, but, you know, like I said, you know, Jakob Pirtle is the perfect, and the thing is, when it comes to him, it's, he does what the team needs, he doesn't go above and beyond, he doesn't, uh, try and take three-pointers when he knows he has shooters all around him. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one possession where it was out of the ordinary. He caught the ball at the high post, right? Actually, no. He, he was cutting to the basket, so he was slashing, and uh, he gave his defender a nice Euro... St- i never seen him do a Euro stuff in my life. i never even <laughs> seen him, you know, have display any kind of footwork that would have resembled something that like a, a slashing guard or you know a small forward might do and you know his euro step that one possession was beautiful it looked like he was doing it his whole life so you know I feel like with Jakob Pertle, you'll be surprised by the things that he could do um, you know I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to start shooting three pointers in the near future just to you know keep the defense honest you know uh, I feel like his repertoire and his ability to learn um to Yeah pretty much Learn new things Is You know I don't want to say Second to none But He
0: He wants to grow as a player He, he wants, wants to grow as a better. player he he wants to see it from Every single night No Exactly I, I, I can agree with that You know he's guy, a baller yeah. In and out He's a baller So we'll, we'll briefly Touch base on DeLon Right Personally, in my opinion, um, well, we'll kind of bring down stats right now, DeLon Wright, just under 21 minutes per game, averaging 7.6 points per game, going with 2.4 rebounds, 2.6 assists, um, shooting a flaming hot 5.23 from the field goal. Um, not really looking that great from the three-point line, but that's not really his game. I like DeLon Wright, and I think DeLon Wright's the ideal backup point guard. DeLon Wright's like, um, like he he he's like a very poor starter, really good bench guy. That's his high upside in my, Who's the backup in Golden State again? Backup in Golden State, Point Guard? Point Guard, yeah. Steph Curry, that's a great question.
2: What's his name, uh... Sean not Livingston Sean Livingston He reminds me like a lot Like Sean Livingston Right,
0: right, exactly like Maybe not the most Glamorous player on the court Every single night But he's a Maybe six. a guy you maybe Won't even notice Every single night But in most situations When you don't notice A guy on the court That's a good thing right? Exactly um, And you're also talking about you know Transition from Kyle Lowry DeLon Wright uh, The bench unit We don't lose that much Of DeLon Wright Especially defensively Is that fair to
2: say? No, he's great uh, When he first came in the league I wasn't a biggest fan I thought he was Very injury prone He missed his entire First season Started his second season In the D-League You know, and obviously Corey Joseph was here, so I was trying to figure out where he was. You know, where he was going to fit in the Raptors organization, right. the Raptors system. Obviously, you know, I didn't think long term the way Masai Ujiri and the Raptors GM are. I don't even know his name. Uh, but they had it all figured out because right. they knew they were shipping uh, Corey Joseph to Indiana and getting a shooter, and then Delon Wright could step right in. Uh, you know, looking at Delon Wright this year, he's really grown on me. Uh, I've seen a lot of improvement just from last season to the postseason that he had last year. And then to start off this year, you know, just being able to read the defense. Um, Showing us what he has in his repertoire in terms of his offensive skill set, his footwork. You know, he's another guy who has an amazing Euro step. Right. I'm in love with the Euro step.
0: <laughs> we talked we talk about that last week.
2: Yeah, so, you know, he, his is on display every time he plays. Mm-hmm. You know, his only downside would be, you know, his injury situation. So, yet again, he's missed the past few games with an injury and, right. you know, he's probably going to be out for another month with a dislocated shoulder. So, mm-hmm. I mean, besides the injury and the three point shooting, uh, Delon Wright seems like, you know, his ceiling is pretty high. He just needs to figure out a few things. Right. Um, but, you know, another guy who's stepping into the Raptors rotation who, you know, youth, young player, still on his rookie contract, not making a lot of money and having a big impact on the court right now. Um, you know, and it speaks volume about the Raptors organization, right? As soon as uh, Masai Ujiri came, you know, there's a few things he declared. He declared he was going to get a Canadian player, and he also declared that he was going to get a, a D-League team. Mm-hmm. Got the D-League team, got the Raptors 905, um, and they played their first... The first D-League game was played in Canada a few years back, and, you know, it didn't take too long before they were able to... Uh, get the D League championship which was last season Uh, and it's just about creating that farm system building that culture um, where you know what my guys can't succeed here but I got I got a, I got a place not, for them to play. Exactly. I got We're a place for them to develop. You, you
0: know, like Bruno Caboclo. Well, men's. It might be a little different conversation. <laughs> yeah, but no. Last for guy sure. I really want to touch base on quickly is Lucas Nogueira. So one year left his contract. Player option next year. I, I, I like Lucas Nogueira's energy. I think he's a good change of pace guy. But when you're talking about the Raptors, we have a ton of bigs. We're talking Serge Ibaka, Jonas Valanciunas, um, Pascal Siakam, Jakob Purtle. Uh, do you think we should just let Noguera go? What do we do with Noguera? And how has he developed over the last few years? Because you got to keep in mind, we basically got him for nothing. He was part of the uh, the John Salmon's uh, trade where we jumped the salary and we got Lou Williams and we also got Lucas Noguera. Should we make an effort next year to bring him back in the fold? Do you see him being part of this team's long-term plans or is he just another fringe prospect on the organization?
2: I mean, with Lucas Noguera, you know what you got. You got a seven-footer, who can finish lobs, who not really spacing the floor, can't shoot it. Uh, he's not the most physical. Um, he's not the most hungry either. Uh, I feel like, you know, he's a guy who can grab you four to five rebounds, play 15 minutes a night mm-hmm. at best. Um, but after that, you know, you can't play him too much longer than that. He'll get exposed. Um, I see Lucas Nogueira as 10, 11th player on the rotation. On the team uh, I don't see him as a guy Who's gonna get much better Than what he, what he is right now
0: Right um, So he sort of capped out Skill-wise Exactly is,
2: You know um, He has his upsides But he also has his faults And I think You know It's it's self-evident that What he is right now And you know His ceiling is pretty much Where he's at right now Right um, Do the Raptors need him? Not really I think he's replaceable Um I think, they? I think he's an
0: NBA caliber player. Oh no, absolutely for sure, wonderful. for sure. I just think what we mentioned before was that he he, he he's fifth. He's a fifth option, as a big like you mentioned. He's 11, the guy off the bench. Exactly. And, and bringing a guy like that back and he's depth. He's depth. Yeah, like like bringing back Even for like seven, eight million dollars. It makes absolutely no sense. No, none I think whatsoever. Both agree that we value Pirtle and Pascal Siakam a little bit higher. Moving on to the podcast, uh, we're not going to do the six this week because unfortunately Greg and Graf are not here. But we do have a couple NBA stories or issues, We guess we want to get to right now. We'll start it off with the Memphis Grizzlies and the recent dismissal of Robert Fisdale. The team is on an eight-game slide right now. Um, currently, they are sitting um, oh my goodness, I just closed my tab. Give me one second, folks. I'm going to pull up the standings because I'm a complete jackass who's unprepared today. I'm just joking. Um, so Memphis Grizzlies right now are currently sitting in 12th in the Western Conference at 7-12. Eight-game slide, like I mentioned before. And uh, we're we also mentioned The potential Marcus Saul trade rumors The Memphis Grizzlies Were one of my More favorite organizations Especially within The last few years One of the grittiest Toughest Toughest fucking teams In the NBA yeah. You know the Zach They're always uh, my favorite Marcus team Marc front court. You got the The grittiness Of Tony Allen As a lockdown defender yep. Mike Conley Maybe one of the most Underappreciated point guards In the NBA A really sort of I wouldn't say A, a super athletic Dynamic roster But a team That wants to win A team that's composed Of tough gritty players Blue collar players Blue collar players players. Unfortunately Nothing uh, Can stay forever I guess I don't know how I can frame that But the Grizzlies Are struggling Uh, Rude Sorry Zach Randolph Is gone Uh, Signed the Sacramento Kings I think on a one year $8 million contract The guy's not a starting caliber Player anymore Tony Allen's of himself Coming off the bench For New Orleans Pelicans Right now They handed that Massive contract To Chandler Parsons Which is further hindering Their ability To sign Outside free agents No they signed him He's making about $22 million a season The Grizzlies signed him How long was that? That I think they signed because uh, the to pre- start of last season, who he, he had a massive injury, he missed entire last season, and he's been okay. playing limited minutes this year. Uh, so we're talking about Conley making roughly thirty million dollars a year. We're talking about Marcus Saul making just under twenty-three million dollars a year. We're also talking about Chandler Parsons making twenty-two million dollars a year. So, you know, um, that is seventy-five million dollars tied up to three players who, in my opinion, are great players, I wouldn't but even not say necessarily that. max cap sort of like twenty million uh, dollar. I would say Conley might be
2: the exception was a great player uh, Connie was a great player Parsons was a was an above average player but all of them right now whether it's age whether
0: it's injury uh, are not what they used to be Well, because of their salary cap restraints, they were sort of forced against the wall when it comes to bringing in other talent, you know? And and, and the complimentary guys they brought in, with the exception of Tyreek Evans, who has looked absolutely incredible off the bench, averaging just over 20 points per game, playing in 32 minutes, and has developed a fucking three-point shot in like year eight of his career. (laughs) You got him. But beyond from that, like like look look at this like Meryl Chalmers is shooting like what thirty seven percent from thirty seven percent from the field. They plucked um, him out of. He he was on the team before he had that really bad a knee injury. I think what happened to Meryl Chalmers was he was about to get a really solid contract. Um, when, like, everyone was overestimating how much the salary cap would go up, and he blew out of his knee, and he uh-huh. just lost out on that lottery jackpot. You're also talking about Brandon Wright, right,
2: j- who's kind of NBA looks
0: sketchy a bit this year. Ben McLemore, former 8th overall pick on Sacramento from Kentucky, or from Kansas, rather, has looked like complete dog shit in his career. Grizzlies thinking they could revitalize his career, bringing him into the fold, has done next to nothing with his organization. What about our Canadian boy? How's he doing? Your Canadian boy... Uh, Dylan Brooks Dylan Brooks Dylan Brooks Has looked really solid um, But if Dylan Brooks Is your most Is your best option Coming off <laughs> the bench Your team is absolutely fucked And also we're talking about Mr. $23 million a year Chandler Parsons um, Who's playing In extremely limited minutes Who's a shell of him former self What do you do To remedy the ship Is there is, Like do you, do you just Have sure. trade Gasol Do you trade Conley Do you try to find A trade partner with Parsons Do you bond him out Do you empty the shelf Or do you uh, Sit on the team for a bit wait to next season, hopefully you can find the nice complimentary player through the draft to make this team a viable playoff contender in the Western Conference. Well, easier said than done, but what the Grizzlies have to do right now is find
2: a way, find a new philosophy. However it's done, win some games put guys in positions to succeed mm-hmm. showcase their talents let the rest of the league know hey these guys are still good these guys still have a lot of value um you know whether it's this special thing that they do with chandra Par- chandler parsons hitting the three mike conley running the offense uh mark gasol being that inside distributor the inside presence
0: structurally like if you think of like a starting five on this team like like like, like gasol at center taylor parsons at, at the four tyreek uh, evans mike conley do i don't know who would feel even like let's say Ben player, face um, of the order they, like they have paper, pieces that, that team does sound bad. kind of enticing they have in pieces. all actuality in reality team the team is working work together is well. yeah, unfortunately so, David Fizdale fucking lost his job because uh, of this uh, like, spent, I love Fizdale I love Fizdale's Fizdale's like but pit pit also create a culture of his you know what I mean Like I mean it seems to me like this stew of
2: bad temperament bad chemistry the team. didn't just happen overnight it's been going on for next spring for it's been festering for a while it's an ongoing issue and it's definitely something that can be addressed in the season it should have been addressed before the season started um, upper management the GM ownership should have got both guys, both parties in a room uh, and hashed out the differences you know laid a framework a guideline of what the organization wanted to do what the expectations were you know what they could do constructively moving forward Right. Uh, and if there was a constructive means to that end go for it but if not
0: then deal with it in the offseason but you're a coach like what is a coach's responsibility to his players? You gotta control the locker room. You gotta ha- create a tone of respect in no, the locker have to. room. And if Marcus Saul, who is a primary leader and face of the organization, is disrespecting the coach, what does that say about the organization electing to fire Fisdale over, you know, punishing Marcus Saul? Because I think, like, y- y- you can't let your players run amok like that, regardless of how long. Then the NBA,
2: no, you can't. Right? It, it's detrimental to the culture of the team because now everybody's starting to question who's this Marcus Saul guy who has more power than the right. coach. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a uh, Tyreek Evans. i am been there for this season, right? Or was he there for last season? Well, he,
0: you know, he signed a one-year, $3 million Signed a one-year, right? $3 million contract. Like, I'm why would you want to
2: come back? I'm stepping right? into this situation and I'm like, okay, so this is how the coach is getting treated. I'm having a phenomenal year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a contract year for myself and I see that, you know, this guy, Marcus, saw whether he's been with the team for however long he's been here, can just have this kind of power to the point where the coach is going to get fired that's a, for...
0: That's a fantastic point because you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, for example, you know, LeBron James sort of... Strong-handing his way to get what he wants by basically firing. I'm D- sorry, Blatt. Yep. Bringing his boy Tyrone Lewis as a head coach, and subsequently that over time led to the departure of Kyrie Irving because he wanted to play basketball in a more sort of professional Manner. atmosphere, exactly with a more with a better coach who's more about X's and O's than Billy and Joes or whatever <laughs> the phrase is. Uh, like a
2: more 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 of a culture conducive towards equality and not favoritism Mm -hmm. when it comes to Tyronn Lue who's his favorite guy LeBron there You know you. He's, he's, he's one of the homies You know Not to have any kind of
0: You know well, I whatever th- I think Tyron Lue Is the definition Of a half cadaver As a head coach The guy is just there He stands there right, yeah. Like he does next to nothing Like I don't even I think he's just Like literally writing On the fucking board Every single time out Pass the ball to LeBron I don't think He's that's <laughs> a He's a professional level coach But going to Fisdale Like I love this guy Like last year In the playoffs When he's pissed off About the referee calling And just How much he stuck up For his organization and just Mark Gasol to dismiss him like that. Like Mark obviously knew that if he wanted his, if he wanted him gone, he would be fucking gone. Yeah. yeah. And it just it, it infuriates me that we live in an era of sport where players can basically will their way toward getting a coach fired like that.
2: And you know it it just speaks to the organization as well, right? You look at a team like the Spurs. Popovich can bench any superstar he wants to bench. Mm-hmm. He's benching Duncan if Duncan doesn't grab this rebound. He's getting in Duncan's face,
0: right? But why do you think players want to play for a coach like Greg Popovich?
2: Because he doesn't value individual talent. He values the system. He right. values the, the actual game and the team
0: right. over everybody else. Well, you can see without Kawhi Leonard on the team, right? The team is still afloat. The team is still dominant without. It's because one he has best he has the system.
2: The he has the system, and the players get plugged into the system. Mm-hmm. When Kawhi Leonard drops out, it's not like oh shit, now I got to do a, a completely brand new yeah, is, offense. Because
0: Popovich was allowed to do that because R.C. Buford and the management of the San. Antonio Spurs allowed him to create a culture like that where players weren't above coaches. Exactly. Memphis Grizzlies firing Fizdale. It's clearly painting the picture of a culture that the players hold a higher present than whoever is running the organization. And you have to always have respect for your coach. Clearly. You know,
2: and I feel like you know to get to the bottom of this, you actually got to dig a little bit deeper. Um, what value does Marcus saw have to the organization beyond what he does on the court. So Marcus saw played college, played high school basketball in Memphis. Yep. He was Mr. Basketball there. my so, brother of Powell when he was playing for the Grizzlies. Exactly. So when that happened you know he became a household name to a certain degree you know a fan favorite mm-hmm. sort of say um so if he's angry it's like oh well you know we, we don't want him to, to the be the
0: hearts of all people in memphis you Exa- know I mean? not typically a basketball city you know then relocated from vancouver to memphis and marcus all was like that sort of semi-homegrown talent you know exactly exactly and on top of all of that
2: you know He's the guy that they're going to be putting on the billboards. He's the guy that they're going to be putting on the ticket stubs. He's the face that, you know, they're going to be promoting in order to sell tickets, sell jerseys, get Uh, Ratings on television It's not the coach Mm -hmm. Right So As much as Marc Gasol Is a player He's also A a, a marketing uh, Point for them uh, uh, A means to Generate more wealth More income And I think I was Listening to a story today Where the Memphis Grizzlies You know Not Not the NBA uh, Financial part But like The Memphis Grizzlies Financial part Like they Like them generating Income from ticket sales Mm -hmm. From whatever Revenue streams That they have That don't involve The actual Overall NBA uh, money, whatever scheme, right. but they actually lost money last year. Right. So, well, they're in a position where they need to make money.
0: And I'm gonna touch base on one more thing for this. It'll be the last comment I'll have for this for the Grizzlies. Do you think the culture change from last season this season? I want to be my culture change. The loss of uh, Zach Randolph and Tony Allen allowed the situation to happen do you think their vocal presence in the locker room was so important toward the identity of the organization that we're actually seeing the true Marcus all now you know what I mean like like those guys were like they kept
2: them in check they provide a, a form of checks and balances because they're you know they weren't young guys these guys have been around the block a few times Tony Allen in my opinion was the key to the reason why the Celtics won back in 08 mm-hmm. and you know he's he's been there before you know and he's one of those guys like you know I'm a, I'm a high energy you know high intensity guy and you know he was that guy well, so, he
0: doesn't beat around the bushes like, exactly what you see is what you get with Tony Allen I feel like and same with Zebo. Exactly, exactly
2: right so there was no acting out of line it was like okay if the coach is saying something Zebo, Tony Allen those guys are agreeing or you know uh, concurrent whatever uh. <laughs> Marcus all can't just be like oh
0: you know I don't I don't like the coach uh, you know uh, you know it's I, like Mark I, I, shut the fuck up sit down and do your goddamn job. All right, right? Moving on to uh, yeah. a, a team that's not disappointing, actually blowing people away this season. Uh, many people sort of predicted this organization to sort of bottom out in the standings after losing their uh, superstar forward uh, Paul George. Again, my phone is going off. I apologize. Uh, we're talking about the Indiana Pacers. Javon, did you think the Indiana? Pacers Pacers at this point in the season would be twelve and nine on a seven and three within their last ten. Did you even see them as a playoff contender when the season starts? <sighs>
2: I didn't really pay too much attention to them. I seen that they got rid of Paul George, and just like everybody else, It was like, "Oh, they're tanking. They're getting ready for the draft. They're looking to build some, build something for the future."
0: Well, the one thing uh, they did this week was they uh, they took out the uh, the Toronto Raptors. Mister yeah. Born Ready, Lance Stevenson Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll play a little clip by uh, from head coach Nate McMillan. Uh, he opens up this with uh, the play of Lance Stevenson and ends it with the improved play of Bojan Bogdanovic on the defensive side of the ball especially guarding DeMar DeRozan. I apologize for the audio quality. Uh, I lifted it off YouTube.
1: He was making plays uh, in that fourth quarter and made a couple big shots that uh, I thought broke uh, Toronto's runs. And uh, he had some confidence and uh, was making plays on the offensive end of the floor. And, you know, of course, we just put the ball in his hands. I thought, uh, you know, he did a good job of... uh, You know, putting the ball in the basket, he was shooting the ball with confidence and um, really, you know, I thought was the difference. You know, with DeRozan, you try to stay in front of him, you know, contest his shot and keep him off the free throw line, which is what Boyan did. You know, uh, he just worked his behind off to make him work to catch, Uh, did a good job of squaring his shoulder, containing and not, um, you know, sending him to the free throw line. Uh, You know, he averages eight. Nine free throws a game. He only had two tonight.
0: Okay, so what? Like, when did you, did you watch this game? <sighs> I did. I'm so, what was your biggest takeaway from the Pacers? Because there's multiple things you could look at when it comes to this organization. You could look at um, the the emergence of Victor Oladipo as a primary offensive big, option. You big. can talk about um, the improved play of um, young center Miles Turner. You can talk about the incredible three point shooting of Bojan Bogdanovic. Uh, you could talk about the steady presence of the dual point guard tandem of Darren Collis and Corey Joseph. What is the one thing that sticks out for you, Javon? I love Oladipo.
2: I felt like the Oklahoma City Thunder didn't know what they had when they traded him. And this is a guy who has above-average athleticism, plays above the rim, mm-hmm. can hit the open shot. He is a play creator. Spaces the floor great. And, yeah, he's, he, he's a prototypical uh, future I wouldn't say superstar, but he has the potential to be a superstar if he wanted to, if you put the work in the gym.
0: Right. So you're talking about last season when he played for the Oklahoma City Thunder, where he's basically a fucking pylon on the court. The three-point line where Russell Westbrook driving the lane averaged 16 points per game, um, 442 field goal percentage. This season bumped up to 23. That's seven additional points in roughly the same amount of minutes played. Uh, did you did you ever think Like I know he was a second overall pick And per for myself I never thought Victor Oladipo Could be the primary Offensive option On a team And it begs a question Do you think The Indiana Pacers Won the Paul George trade Considering that they gave up Demonis Or the OKC gave up Demonis a bonus Who's having an incredible season As well as Victor Oladipo For the service of Paul George For one season Also factoring in The, the recent slide Of the OKC I think they're three games Below 500
2: Oh they definitely lucked, Well I wouldn't say Lucked out But they definitely won that trade Um, how much longer do they have Oladipo for
0: Uh, let me let me look this up quickly
2: all I know is that uh, with Oladipo on the court for the Indiana Pacers they have a new face of the franchise you know it went from Reggie Miller to uh, Jermaine O'Neal Jermaine O'Neal and then uh, It was uh, The other Danny guy Granger, Danny and Granger, Granger And then Paul George And now we got Victor Oladipo go. Memory sliding on me
0: Getting um, older we're, we're approaching 30 So uh, Victor Oladipo Is locked in For the next 4 years Up until 2021 Earning an annual salary Of 21 million dollars If he keeps up this play That is a very good Fucking contract That's,
2: that's an that's amazing very, contract very In contract. today's NBA Yeah So You know New face of the franchise um, They have somebody Who they can build around And and they already have a lot of pieces to complement him as we go. So they also acquired uh, Sabonis from
0: in the same trade. Well, Sabonis, they brought in Corey Joseph as well in the in the CJ Miles trade. Uh, they also brought in Bojan Bogdanovic, who has been lights out from the three point line. Who Nate McMillan was mentioning is emerging as a pretty competent defender. Um, He's a very smart defender. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I just I I it, I feel like this is an aberration. Like I feel like. Like, I like the Pacers' play. I think they're a good team. I think they have a 10-man team. Yeah. You know, I think they have five guys off the bench that are competent enough to play, and then they have five guys who can start who are competent enough to play. Um, I think they have a lot of high upside in guys like TJ Leaf and EK and, a, and a Um. But I just, I, I can't see them sustain this level of play. The only caveat to that would be, I think Victor Oladipo can keep us up. I think Victor Oladipo will emerge as the most improved player of this season.
2: No, for sure. Um, yeah, a lot of guys are playing better than their career dictates. You know, a guy like Corey Joseph is shooting, what is it, forty percent from the three point line? heard of. I mean, it's weird that trade that they made. They traded a shooter for a guy who they're now putting as not just a point guard, but as he plays a lot of the two now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of strange. But I guess you know he still plays some of the one.
0: Well, he's uh, a perfect complementary to Victor Oladipo. You yeah, know what I mean, because he doesn't even have the ball in his hands. He's great off the ball. He's a good defender. Yeah, um, you he's know, a versatile. Uh, Very guard. Versatile, exactly, exactly. All right, so we're going to end guard. this podcast on a quick discussion. I think Javon want to talk about the recent play of NBA's new favorite hipster team, I guess I'll call them, the Philadelphia 76ers, who are currently in fifth place in the Eastern Conference, sitting at 11 and 8. Wow. All right, buddy, what do you want to talk about with the 76ers? What has blown you away this far? You know, there's so many things to get excited about with this team. Um, you know, obviously, Ben Simmons is blowing everyone's expectations. Way of the season. The yeah, guy is a triple-double threat. Every single night he walks on the court. Joel Embiid has looked phenomenal. Arguably the best center in the NBA right now. Yep, yep. Uh, casting no shade toward Boogie Cousins right now. Um, and also the, the uh, complimentary pieces. You know, J.J. Reddick's looked absolutely fantastic. Amir Johnson's kind of providing that like pre- that veteran. veteran presence off the bench. Um, Robert Covington has looked absolutely out. fantastic. Tune the lights out. Great way to put it. Um, but there's also a few cause for concern, most importantly, the injury to Markel Fultz. What is your takeaway from the Philadelphia 76ers this season, Jamal?
2: I mean, they're right in line with the rebuild. They bottomed out for a few seasons. You
0: believe in the process.
2: The pro- hey, man. <laughs> the process can be two years. The process can be six years. And they're on that six-year process, but it's looking great right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they've taken huge steps this year. Uh, what's his name? Ben Simmons is finally playing off the injured list. He's putting in work driving to the basket doing everything that he needs to do and you know the one thing I like about him is he's not afraid to make mistakes he's gonna do what he's gonna do he's gonna drive to the basket and throw a no-look pass and it might not get through it might be a turnover and he'll try it three more times it might mess up but he's gonna make the adjustment or a adjustment that he thinks might be the adjustment every single trip down until he gets it right well, he's not afraid
0: he, he's not a three-point shooter and I don't think he'll necessarily be a very good three-point shooter but he's one of those few guys in the modern game and I guess you can include Gian S Conversation, who may not need a three-point shoot. Maybe their athleticism or height and length. Is, they're, they're so dynamic that they can just drive the lane or look for that open pass. Like they're so they're they're a Swiss Army knife basically. With I got a question for you. What?
2: What's a better shot than a three-point
0: shot? Um, I guess the getting a foul and one.
2: <laughs> nah, a layup. 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 Easiest shot in the game. <laughs> You can make five lips and you'll be 100%. You can take five threes and you might only be 20%. Or th- let's say f- six threes and 50%. So you make three, nine. I'm still up on you.
0: What are you, Red back? Um, so,
2: <laughs> hey, if, you're, if your ability to drive to the basket and finish is greater than your ability to hit a three-pointer, especially in under duress and mm-hmm. being contested, you're good to go.
0: they've hit on like that's a great point and they've also hit on so many like fringe guys that like even Dario Saric who you know isn't playing the best basketball this season shooting below 40% but like he has high upside like he is a starting caliber four in the NBA the only thing I really want to talk about with the 76ers is just they're fucking like 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 they're they basically holding Jaheel Okafor for ransom like I feel absolutely horrible from this guy and he's handled the situation the best possible way you can He's been a professional Through every step of this bullshit no, Let for sure. the man go He's a third overall pick And listen I understand that He may not be The best center in the NBA When it comes to the modern game He may not be The best rim protector He may be a poor defender But there is a space For him to play in the NBA He is not like a bust draft pick In my opinion Oh no Because when Mark he's touched Titus, the floor He's been really good Mark Titus Who is a writer for The Ringer Was mentioning on one of his podcasts that Jaheel Okafor had the best low post moves he has ever seen in college. Yeah, I don't doubt it. You know, Jaheel Okafor is a throwback, and you're talking about guys like Ben Simmons, Giannis, who can exist in the NBA because they're so dynamic, because they're so good at so many different things. Maybe that's not with Jaheel Okafor, but he's such a creative player in the low post. There has to be a somewhere for him. Like, what do you think would be a good fit for Jaheel Okafor? What team do you think he should go do? Do you think he'd be a good fit for the Raptors? I mean, you know,
2: me, I I became a Sixers fan. I was always a Sixers fan with Iverson, but obviously with, like, their youth emergence and what they're doing right now, I'm a fan, and, you know, I'd like to see them stay with the Sixers, provide a little bit of depth, a little bit of... uh, insurance in case anything were to happen to a guy like Joel Embiid because you know he does have a history of some severe
0: injuries and you know to have depth at that position is absolutely but they're not, critical but they're not even giving him that option like Rashawn Holmes is their backup center right now yeah. you know, he's playing over Jaheel Okafor they've already decided that Jaheel Okafor is not part of their long term plans the guy has been in a DNP for weeks upon weeks I, I, I just I, I get fucking so pissed off about the situation Yeah Because you're like you're, you're taking a kid's career away Yeah
2: yeah yeah
0: You're taking a fucking kid's career Is that fair for me to say Like just by sitting him Benching him Like I know they want to get Something in return They already said That they're not going to Opt into the fourth year Of his contract Just wow. let the fucking kid go And play some goddamn basketball yeah, yeah. I don't want to see him Wash up overseas Because he couldn't Really progress as a player Because he wasn't learning From his mistakes On the court Every single night The guy hasn't been Playing at all Yeah It's hindering his development I like mean It just sucks to see a guy Like this Like a guy who was so highly touted coming in the draft, just completely losing the chance to even play on the court.
2: So what are you saying? They should just buy out his contract
0: and let him go wherever he wants. Yes, one hundred percent. Give the guy the option to go to a contender or go to a team where he can actually get some fucking minutes, as opposed to Ryan the pine for the last few seasons. Uh, they're definitely uh, doing him. A, they're doing him dirty right now. Um, what I can say is that
2: you know he's had his issues off the court in previous seasons, and. Uh, You know, if I'm Philadelphia, I would hate for it to see me, oh, here's your money and you're a free guy to go. And then he goes and signs with the Brooklyn Nets or he goes and signs with, you know, some team in the Atlantic Conference that they're going to play four times. And Mm -hmm. then he goes and just, you know, puts in work against them. They end up losing. They're biting the bullet on that one for sure. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but I see what Philadelphia is doing in terms of protecting, you know, their interests. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might not be the biggest thing uh, in terms of letting Julio Okafor walk, but you know they're definitely protecting their asses from something that might ha- that might not happen but Possibly could happen Right but so. like
0: This isn't like a, You know, like a Trading card You yeah, know what I mean This yeah. isn't like Like a hedge fund This is a real life Human being Who has worked His entire life off To make it as a Professional basketball player yeah, you saying- you have a greedy Organization That's putting dollars Above he- like, like Like players Like people uh, And that, that's what infuriates me. You know what it is Like if it was High
2: school basketball College basketball For sure But right now It's a business And they're in the Business of winning and these guys are getting paid millions of dollars regardless if they play or not, and it's unfortunate for him, but, you know, he's not going to have cold nights or no food on the...
0: Table at yeah, the end of the he's night. Yeah, like Latrell Sprewell, <laughs> of a couple of, like what, like five years ago, where he's like trying to earn twenty million dollars a year and like basically saying like I need to put food on the table for my kids while earning fucking like what a hundred million dollars in his career. I just, I, I, I just don't like the fact that he just hasn't been even been even able to get an opportunity to to show what he can do.
2: No, for sure, and I completely agree because at the end of the day, it is just basketball, and you know you never want to hold somebody's dream away from them. So exactly.
0: All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. Hopefully next week, Christian. Actually next week. Christian and Greg will Be back Javon will be joining us Throughout the rest of the regular season In playoffs Um, We got to figure out when we're going to bring you back again Buddy we got to do it thank you so much for Coming in thanks for having me all right guys have a Fantastic evening and again Please check us out on iTunes Subscribe to our podcast Maybe give us a five star review Who knows all right guys thank you very much for listening (laughs)